were going, how long would it be, do you have enough money to support us, any of those things. And now Jesus is beginning to head into the cities and into the villages, we would probably say, and he begins teaching. But the thing is, Jesus is not a very well-known teacher. He's not one of the well-known rabbis. He's not one of the scribes that people look up to. He's not one of the priests. It would be like putting me in a line of people that included like the late Tim Keller or John Piper or other individuals who people of a Christian background would know who their faces are just by looking at them. They would know who that teacher was and then you'd have this random guy with a little bit of gray in his beard that would be standing among these great people. They had no idea who Jesus was as he began teaching. But what we will find out is that it was not Jesus' appearance that drew people to him. It was not Jesus in the way he came about in this world that would draw people to him. It would be something else. So let's head to Mark chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 21. And the Black Bibles will be page, I believe, 813. Students, if you have your Bibles, it's page 1,219-ish. Not sure. Somewhere around there. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people all so amazed that they had asked each other, what is this? A new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her. He took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Though Jesus was not one of the well-known teachers of the day, the people are amazed at his teaching. 
Notice why they were amazed at his teaching. It's because he taught them as one who had authority. They were amazed at the authority in which he taught. They were amazed at, by the, the power in the way that he spoke the word of God. The words of God, we could probably say. Jesus, he didn't teach the same way that other people taught in that day. The priests, the teachers of the law, the scribes, they would often quote and use the authority of other people instead of trying to create their own authority on a specific subject. The priests would teach in a way and say, as Moses said, as Rabbi so-and-so said, they would continually, time after time, mention these other individuals with authority on a specific way of following God. Referencing authority, not recognizing an authority or creating authority of themselves. In some way, I think that's similar to how we often teach or how, how we like to be taught at times. We like to know that the person has some sense of authority in the area that they speak. If I decided today, I'm going off script here, Randy, I'm going to go teach at your class at Calvin tomorrow. I think the students would begin to question when I would be speaking things about electrical engineering or really any type of engineering at all because I have absolutely no authority in that area. We like to have people who have an experience in that area, who have been taught by others who have experience in that area. When you think about our series on spiritual formation, the last uh, weeks of the summer, there were multiple times where we referenced and, and looked to other individuals, Richard Foster, and so on, that have experience and have written in depth about spiritual formation, about, about prayer, about service, about reading scripture in our life, about hospitality, about compassion, about listening. All these areas we look to a greater authority. And yet, when Jesus would teach, Jesus didn't reference others' authority. He taught from a place of his own authority. I think it's easy for us today, we're post-resurrection people, we know what happens later on in the story of Mark, we know of Christ rising from the dead, to think, well, yeah, Jesus would teach uh, from a position of authority, I mean, he's God, right? He's God's chosen one. He's the Messiah. He's come to redeem the people. I mean, all these people should just listen to him and then everything will be all great, right? But we need to remember that 
they didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know that he was the Holy One of God. They didn't know that he was the Messiah. He came like every other person was born into the world. But now they begin to learn about him because Jesus came preaching and teaching in authority, and he wasn't just talking about God. He was, in fact, speaking for God. What we see in this passage that we just read this morning is that Jesus speaking the very words of God shows that he has authority over the spiritual and also authority over the physical by showing two miracles in this one section of Scripture. As Jesus was teaching, we see that a man came and disrupted the teaching that was happening in the synagogue. He, he cried out with a loud voice, Jesus of Nazareth, what is it that you want from us? Have you come to destroy us? Today, if anybody would walk in here, or, or maybe you've seen sporting events where a fan runs out onto the field, generally everything stops. And then oftentimes now they won't even show the person on camera, but you know what's happening is that there's some security people that are going to go tackle them. Maybe, maybe it's football. The football players are going to help too to, to get this distraction out of there take them out of the stadium, and then likely there would be action to prohibit that person from ever coming back again. In the same way, if, if you go to some type of conference and someone be begins to disrupt the teaching that's taking place, there would be some, some ushers, so to speak, that would come find said person and, and usher them out of the building. Oftentimes with disruptions, what's happening in society is we need to minimize the disruptions, we need to get them out of here so that we can focus on what we need to focus on. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't immediately tell the disciples, James, John, sons of thunder, why don't you take this guy out of here? No, because Jesus saw that something bigger was at stake. Jesus saw that this man was possessed by an impure spirit. We could, we could call that a, a demon. And this isn't the first time that we're going to encounter this in the book of Mark. Later on uh, in Mark chapter 1, we read that there was many other demons that were driven out by Jesus, right? If we went to Mark chapter 3, which we will at some point, Jesus gives the disciples authority from Jesus' authority to drive out demons in his name. Mark chapter 5 there's, contains a somewhat familiar story for maybe some of you where Jesus drives out a demon from a man and puts the demon in the pigs, right? And the pigs go and run off the cliff. Mark chapter 6 the 12 disciples, the same one that Jesus gave authority to drive out demons, right? They go on to drive out many demons. Mark chapter 7, Jesus heals a child 
of a demon without even being present with the child. Mark chapter 9, Jesus heals, continues to heal people of impure spirits. And then we hear, too, of someone that's not the disciples that is beginning to drive out demons in Jesus' name. So these, this concept of, of demons and impure spirits is something that's going to be present in this book as we go through. And oftentimes, I want to say this makes people uncomfortable. The concept of someone being possessed by an impure spirit or an evil spirit, where the evil spirit or the demon has now somehow taken control of their body in a way where they don't know what they're doing, but the demon does. That makes us feel uncomfortable. And I think the reason it makes us feel uncomfortable is we don't have categories for it. And the categories that have been created by media, such as movies like The Exorcist or things like that, give us kind of a fearful picture. We oftentimes limit this concept of impure spirits or demons to either one extreme or the other extreme, which is kind of making light of them. You've probably seen the pictures where, you know, Bill is faced with a decision, and you got little angel Bill right on one shoulder speaking some words to him, and you have little devil Bill speaking words. And we create caricatures of these impure spirits or these, these demons. I think we also don't have categories for it because of where we are in society. We are post-enlightenment people, we could say. We desire concrete fact. We desire things to be absolutely clear. We like them to be black and white. There's right and wrong. There's one way or another. And we're not comfortable as much with the gray area of the unknown. If we can't prove something, well then, does it really exist? I think there'd be some people in this room that would be much more comfortable if Mark said something other than impure spirit. A man entered the synagogue with Tourette's syndrome. A man entered the synagogue and had multiple personalities. A man entered the synagogue and was dealing with psychosis or some other medical diagnosis. We would probably feel more comfortable with that. There's a book that says something about it. We understand what it's like. But when we talk about impure spirits, when we talk about demons, it's so unknown, we don't know what to do with it. But what we find really is that Mark is not talking about health-related conditions. Mark is talking about spiritual conditions. When we approach this passage and the ones to come, we need not deny the existence of demons nor we do we need to get to the opposite spectrum where Around every corner is a demon inhabiting someone. 
We, we don't need to go throughout life or, or, or anything speculating about who might be possessed by a demon. No, instead we recognize that here in this moment, God's kingdom is waging war against the demonic forces through Jesus Christ. God, through Jesus, is is waging war against the evil forces of demons that had inhabited, inhabited people's lives at that time, that had taken over God's creation and, and brought it into a place that it was not meant to be. And Jesus, when he hears this person, the demon within the person, he immediately stops teaching. He does not ask John or James to take this person out because he sees a spiritual need that has to happen. This interruption was not something that needed to be removed. Because Jesus saw this person who was affected by an impure spirit as one who was in need. He saw this person was a victim of the impure spirit that was in his life. He saw this man as one who was unable to ask for help on his own. And if the disciples would have dealt with this interruption the way that we deal with interruptions, the man would have lived with the impure spirit for the rest of his life. So instead, Jesus engages with the demon. Jesus exercising authority over the demon. The demon, in his interruption said I know who you are you're the holy one of God it's a statement that comes from a place of power so to speak when you know who someone truly is you are in a position of power to divulge that information for others to know And yet, what Jesus does is he completely silences him right there and right then. Be quiet. And he asks him to to come out of him sternly. And people who would not experience this authority in teaching, not the authority that Jesus was showing before he encountered this demon, but the authority he's showing right now, they witness as as the man shakes, as the demon shrieks, and as the demon leaves the man. Jesus showing that he has complete authority over the power of darkness. That Jesus, when Jesus speaks, Things change. When Jesus utters words, something is going to happen and people will not be in the same condition that they were before. Jesus gave this man an opportunity for new life. 
to no longer be a slave to the impure spirit that had taken over his body, and that would be likely something that this man had only ever dreamed about. But Jesus, in coming to the earth, was beginning to wage war against the evil that was among his place. As the people are amazed, they're like, what is this? What is this new type of teaching? He says something, and it happens. Jesus' authority to teach is matched by his authority to dismantle the tyranny of Satan. So now all demons will feel threatened by Jesus. And not only will all demons feel threatened by Jesus, but the religious authorities are too going to begin to be threatened by the authority of Jesus. Threatened by how people listen to him. Threatened by the authoritative way he teaches, threatened by the way he heals people. Because what Jesus is doing is threatening the power and authority that they have in themselves. As the passage continues, we read about Jesus heading to Simon and Andrew's house. And Jesus, he hears about Simon's mother-in-law, who is in bed with a, a fever. She's, she's sick. You know, when we think about fevers, when we think about elevated temperature, we often think, well, that is a symptom of something else that's happened. I have a fever. Maybe I should take a COVID test. I have a, a fever, maybe I should take some cold medicine or get some Theraflu. I have a fever, there must be something that's going on where my body is, is fighting some infection that has come in. Maybe I need to go get some antibiotics. But in Jesus' day, they did not believe that a fever was just a symptom of some other sickness in their life. They believed that a fever was actually a, a punishment by God. And that punishment by God that, that found its way into someone's life by being a fever would only be something that God himself could remove from that person's life. And so Simon's mother-in-law has a fever, and, and what we find is Jesus, he goes to her. Without even now speaking a word, and perhaps he had the thought in his mind, we don't know, Scripture doesn't say. Perhaps this is leading towards uh, recognizing that when people would touch Jesus, they would be healed. Jesus takes her by the hand and helps her up. And immediately the, the fever left her, and she decided she needed to be a hospitable person and begin caring for all those who came into her home. Jesus, in these two sections, 
speaks life into someone by removing the demon. He speaks life into Simon's mother-in-law as he grabs her by the hand and helps her out of bed. All for the purpose in both of these areas to show his authority and to provide wholeness into life. Giving the man a new life who no longer had to deal with a demon. Given Simon's mother-in-law new life because likely she was destined to die unless God had stepped in to save her. And that's what he desires for us. He He wants to come into your life, come into my life, come into all our lives to to bring wholeness and healing to those very places in which we need it most. Those very places perhaps where, where evil, the evil one has come in our life to tempt us and to distract us and and to push us away. And it's Jesus who who has that authority, even though he's residing in heaven, to make our lives whole again. That we would experience new life. That we would experience peace. But also there's another thing that he he makes available to us. And that is that the authority of Jesus was authority that he gave to his disciples. And that he desires that we live recognizing the authority that we've been given through the power of the Spirit as we live and move throughout our world. Not only does God desire that your lives would be changed and transformed by His Word and by His presence in our life, but He desires that we would go through life hoping that we can be a part of the journey of someone else's transformation as they become uh, come to some saving knowledge in Christ, as they come to a knowledge where it says, God wants to make you whole again. God wants to have you experience a new life. God wants you to be transformed not just into some better version of yourself that you have in your mind, but that you would be transformed into the image of Christ. So wonder with me, Where is it? Where is it in your life that you desire God, His power and His authority to come into it to make you whole again? Where is it that you desire God's power to have a transformative impact within your life? Because of the authority that God has given us, we only need to make it known to him. Just as Jesus said, come out of him, be quiet. He too has given that authority to us that we would speak those words 
and that the Lord would move within our midst to make it happen. The Lord's not seeking to destroy you. The Lord doesn't want you to, to live with a sin that entangles you day after day. God doesn't want you to live with some deep-seated hurt. He wants you to experience peace. He wants you to experience wholeness. And the only way to experience that peace, to experience that wholeness, is to experience Christ and his power on display in our lives. Would you join me in prayer? Father, as you you take us on this journey of knowing you, you desire that we would never be the same. That we would never be the same person when we met you over 60 years ago. That we wouldn't be the same person when we heard about you 20 years ago. That all throughout life, you would continue to cause change in our lives. Causing us to feel more at peace causing us to experience more deeply your love, causing us to recognize the impact of your grace, causing us to be more and more grateful and thankful for what you've done, and causing us to be more whole and more pure. Work to that end in our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us rise together in body or spirit as we sing in response together. Um.